0: How did these cuts change the approach, especially when you found out that it wasn't a headbutt, but it was a punch that if they had stopped the fight, you would have lost by technical knockout? Yes, uh, firstly, I just want to say thank you to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me the power the strength and giving me the victory on this special weekend. Secondly, big shout out Bob Arum, top rank, Jimmy Patero, ESPN, and Kevin Mayer and uh, after that I want to say big congratulations to Otto, I just want to say rest in peace to his father, I know he'd be very very proud of the performance that Otto Wallen just did, the great Swede, the Viking Warrior! It was a great fight, you know, I got caught early on um, with the inside of the glove uh, on the eyelid which cut the eye, changed the fight completely, for majority of the fight I couldn't see out my left eye and then South Orthodox clash, clashed heads and give me a second cup. I've not seen the cup, but it feels quite bad. But, you know, I am a gypsy warrior. This is Mexican Independence Day. Come on, Mexico! Viva Mexico! Hey guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. You've heard the intro, so you know exactly what we're going to jump straight into, and it has to be Tyson Fury versus Otto Wallin. I think the value in these situations is always looking at what people were saying before, and then looking at what actually happened in the fight. So when the fight was announced, everyone kind of rolled their eyes and went, what the hell is this? You know, Otto Wallin... Unbeaten fighter, but essentially untested. We can't say he's a bum, we can't say he's rubbish. My view in life is until you're beaten, we don't know how good or how bad you are. So you have a tough Swede, Otto is a legit six foot six, he's a legit 17 and a half stone, heavyweight, southpaw, skilled, fundamentally sound, and that's the thing that people didn't really understand when they were looking at his record. So at the top level. When you really look at the boxers who go on to do great things, their fundamentals are 10 out of 10. Their foot placement's perfect, they don't give up their balance, they don't give up their territory, they don't give up their shape. And that comes from being drilled and that comes from the hard hours in the gym doing the boring stuff that doesn't look good on Instagram. Otto Wallen is a master of that. Everything's just sound enough that you can go a long way in a career. And did he go a long way? You mean It's worth looking at what he did as an amateur, or just getting a sense of where he was as an amateur. Let's benchmark him from there. So it's worth remembering that Otto Valin did grace our shores about nine years ago, and he boxed in the Haringey Box Cup, which isn't a surprise. A lot of Swedish boxers have passed through there. It's a great tournament for them to get some experience. So in the final of that, he lost to a guy called Anthony Joshua. I can remember the feedback from that fight way back when, and it was essentially two raw novices going at each other and it looked quite novicey. Wallin probably had the better shape, better structure, Joshua had the the grunt and the graft. And it you know generally Finch to get hometown decisions in these sort of events, North London tends to look after its own. But there's no shame now when you look back on it to go, yeah, a points win, two young guys, roughly the same age. And then you look at his peer group and it's guys like you know, Chantal Cameron's in that group, Tony Yoka's in that group, Philip Hergovic among the super heavyweights in the amateurs. These are guys that Otto Wallen was engaged in. So he's at that level. He's in that ballpark. And that immediately tells you he's not a bum. So you have to take that away from the discussion. Otto Wallen's not a bum, but it doesn't mean that he's elite either. Does he have to be elite? And the answer to that's no. Look, he's ranked 46th on box rec. And you look at his ranking, you go, it's probably artificially low. There are a lot of guys there that he could beat, you know, just a hypothetical. Imagine him against Huey Fury. Do you think Huey Fury would stop him? Probably not. Would Huey hurt him? Probably not. Would he hurt Huey? Perhaps. So, so when Otto, when Otto, violin, violin, whoever he wants to call himself, walks into the ring on Saturday night, this isn't a mug. This is a guy that's been in the ring as a sparring partner, as an amateur with the best guys on the planet. Yet, among the experts on social media, he's a bum, he's no good. Why? Because all they've done is look at box rec. They don't recognize any of his opponents, they've never seen him. But those in the sport had seen him. That's, that's essentially the difference, they had seen him. Having lived in Sweden, I know that he should have gone to the 2012... Olympics, that was the expectation, but he didn't deliver on that stage, and perhaps that's his limiting factor, that the belief doesn't stay with him throughout a contest. Hypothetical, not sure. But he's earned the right to be above Twitter criticism from these, these idiots that know nothing more than box wreck. And, and before someone says, why are you criticizing them, here's why. Most of those guys don't buy tickets for shows. Most of those guys do not go to amateur shows. So they have no context by which to judge Otto Barlin. You can watch whoever you want on YouTube and it's helpful. Yes, it's helpful. But if you're judging it in the context of I'm comparing him to Tyson Fury, he's never going to match up. Now, if you measure him in relation to where all the other heavyweights are, his record is more than adequate. Otto Barlin is a fair fight. If Oscar Rivas is a fair fight for Dillian White, Auto a fair fight for Dillian White, and so he's an opponent that the top guys should be looking at. Maybe not for a pay-per-view fight, and I've challenged the the legitimacy of having it as pay-per-view. But Jesus, as a defense, you look through any heavyweight's record—they have loads of auto violence. That's how heavyweights recover. That's how heavyweights work on stuff. That's how heavyweights prepare themselves for the big fights that you, the fans, want to see. But instead he gets criticized, Tyson Fury gets criticized, and that's fine, get it, understand it. But it's to ignore the fact that there are a lot of guys in boxing, just take the heavyweights as an example, there are a lot of guys in the top 50 of that box rec list that you wouldn't understand if you just looked at their records. If you just looked at Huey Fury's record, he'd be a bum. But then you realize, actually, he's never been hurt Never really looks in trouble. And his defeats come from the fact that he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Not that the opponents are better than him. So when you know Huey Fury's story and you've seen the fights, there's a different view. And I'd argue the same with Otto Violet. Completely different fighter in the flesh than his record suggests. So I wasn't surprised that this was going to be a tricky fight. And then that leads us into the actual fight itself. So if we start to look at what happened in the fight, you know, we can see a lot of the the misreading of Otavialan coming through. The reality is, you could tell from from the energy that the Fury camp had before the fight. This was a mark time fight. This was just the let's get in, let's get out, let's get paid, right? That's what this fight was for Tyson Fury. Now separate that 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 thought process from actually calling Otavialan a bum. Two different things you can take someone lighter than they, des- than they deserve to be taken. And that was the case here. So the first round, you're watching it, and you can see what Tyson Fury is trying to do is just outclass this guy, keep him on the end of the jab, working with any shot that he wants. What he underestimates, actually, is how good Otto Valen's footwork is. So Tyson's trying to manage distance. He's not at his best, and he's not on red alert like he was in the Wilder fight where any twitch from Wilder he was reacting to here, there was a bit of complacency, and let's not lie about that. And you could see he was here, just want to outclass him, I want to look better than him, just get through this, it's February 22nd. This was never meant to be a high-risk fight. So that looks like the plan for the first two rounds, even for part of the third. Then he gets cut, and he's cut, it's a punch, it's a clean punch, it's a punch you shouldn't be getting hit by, especially not against the southpaw, not in close. It's a sign that you didn't have your hand in the right place. And that's the sign that you're not taking this guy seriously. But once you get that cut, and it looks bad, and then it seems to be getting worse with every exchange, and all of a sudden, you're not going to be able to outclass this guy. Because you only have one eye. As much as boxers will tell you they can see, you can't. Because your eyeballs reacting to that, your eyelids are closing, you're blinking more than you would. You know, you can feel the gentle sting on the eyeball... You know, of all the adrenaline, the the grease and all that stuff that comes further down the line. So it's not a good place for him to be. And then there's the initial red mist of seeing and tasting your own blood. So at that point, you expect a masterstroke from the corner. But actually, Ben Davison, knowing who he is as a man and knowing what his capabilities are, does exactly the right thing at the end of the third round. Calms his fighter down, gets the right messages through don't get emotionally involved in this fight. But he also knows that he can let Tyson Fury fight his way out of this situation. And that's a sign that someone's seen it many times before. Because often in a sparring session between super elite guy and guy who's quite good, what you will see is super elite guy just able to do what he wants with his opponent. And sometimes it's enjoyable to watch. He'll have some fun experiment, take a few risks, knowing that his leagues above his opponent. That's good. And you saw that with Tyson Fury. So you, you saw that there was essentially a race against time. And he had two challenges at the end of the third round. One, make sure the cut doesn't stop the fight. Two, now establish physical dominance over Otto Weiland so he doesn't try that again. Now, if you look through Otto Weiland's record, that was the third cut-related incident he'd been involved in. Are there questions about whether he's clean with the head? Perhaps. You know, it's rare that someone gets involved in fights that are three cuts. His last fight was ruled a no contest. So you look at that and you say, right, (laughs) what does this really mean? What it means is Fury's got two challenges. He's got to control the monster that is Otto Wallen, and he also has to control the nature of the fight so that the cut doesn't become a factor in the fight. But he doesn't even need his corner for that. He's experienced enough to get through this. And so that's what you see for the rest of the fight. But what was interesting was, Fury didn't revert to being a Southpaw, which I found strange. I think one thing Southpaws struggle with is other southpaws. You know, the shots that are easy to land when you're fighting an Orthodox fighter suddenly become trickier to land when you're facing another southpaw. And the counters you receive are the counters you don't expect. From a southpaw position, you imagine Fury probably could have put him down. Maybe. Chin hasn't been tested, so we don't know. But he could have done a lot more damage from the southpaw stance because he would have been able to whip in a lot more of those right hooks. And he would have been able to go to the body a lot more from that position. But he elected it to stay in the same stance. Fair enough. Maybe that's what they've been working on. And so in that process, what you see is Tyson Fury just decide to dog it out. I think he knew, and we all knew, that he was light years ahead of Otto Now, if you take the cut out of the fight, and the drama of the blood, and the emotion of the will they stop the fight on the cuts, he wasn't really in trouble much in the fight. My concern was, a lot of the shots he was trying to throw weren't landing. I don't think he was setting up the right combinations for a southpaw. I felt... He had almost not prepared for Otto Wallen and it didn't look like he was actively looking to find any weaknesses and exploit those. But it's all by the by because he knew he was light years ahead of this guy. And so what he ends up doing is just deciding to dog it out. He's got the cut already. So what's he really risking? Not much. And he he takes it to Otto in a way that you wouldn't expect a six foot nine man to do. And he takes a riddick bow approach of actually I'm just gonna go inside and wanna see if you want if you want it when it gets rough. And you can see that Fury then starts to be a bit more liberal with the use of his head. He starts to use his forearms and his gloves to start manipulating Otto Violin's head. There was an incident in the fight where Varlin tries to open up the cut on Tyson, which I found disgusting. And in the big scheme of things, I can understand that, you know, you get the red mist and it's competitive and those sorts of things happen. But from a sporting perspective, it's not the sort of thing I'd like to see. And if I was in the Fury Corner, it's something I'd be making remonstrations about. So so the fight follows a similar pattern. It's Tyson Fury essentially doing whatever he wants. He wants to work inside, he works inside. He doesn't want to work inside, he doesn't work inside. And meanwhile, Ottawa's getting tired because he's running out of ideas and the things that he thought would work just aren't going to work on Tyson because he's a different level. And round after round you see this. It's not even like Fury was working on things he could use against Wilder. I don't think you want to be on the inside against Wilder, to be honest with you. I think it's easier to catch Wilder being reckless and counter him than it is to fight him on the inside for no other reason than he he has the same uncanny ability as Fury to be able to let shots go on the inside. And he has far more power than Fury, so that's a very scary prospect. So we see a similar flow in the fight, round after round, is Fury basically doing what he wants. When he goes inside, pretty savage to the body. The uppercut started to find a home. Which, from a training perspective, is always gonna put a smile on my face. Because I like to see that inside work. They're the bits physically that you never really prepare for. You don't no one ever really does chin exercises because you can't and you can't really strengthen your liver. And so Fury was you know, able to find and do some damage with that and you could see it. You know, he was sapping the will of Otto Wallen up until the 12th. But in the 12th, you could see Fury switched off and he thought he was just going to coast to a final round where he'd dominate off the jab. Otto Wallen came out like he should, looking for a stoppage, hurt Fury with a straight left. And then after that, Tyson was just trying to see the round out. You know, standard boxing is a, it's what I call a standard title defense. So if I'm benchmarking that, you know, and I know people go, "Oh, what's this lineal title?" Or, or as Porky would say, "Lineal." <laughs> you know, what 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 is this title? And Fury's not really defending a title, but at the same time, he is. He's defending his claim to being the number one heavyweight on the planet, and he's looking for challenges to take that away from him. The longer he does it, the more likely he is to accumulate belts. So I, I get where it is, and you know he's got the WBC Mayan belt, which means absolutely nothing, for being honest. But it's an excuse for the WBC to get a few shekels from the deal. Yeah. Why not? Why not participate in them wherever there's money? Be involved. So then we look at it and go, okay. So what does this fight really tell us? It tells us that Fury's tough as hell, but we knew that in the Wilder fight. It tells us that he's going to be a real problem on the inside. And. We saw with Joshua, Joshua's not very good on the inside, and I don't think Joshua will ever be really good on the inside. And here's why before people say, I'm just hating. The art of boxing in the inside is the manipulation of geometry. So it's being able to move a few degrees so you look like you're there to be hit, but you're not. But in doing that, you position yourself to attack. You know, I'm a big Roberto Duran fan, as everyone knows, and he was the master of that. Well, if you didn't know what you were looking for, you wouldn't understand how he got away with being where he was. You know, Lomachenko does it in a different way. He's far more dynamic. Tony does it as well, in that really intelligent way of his, where he's in the pocket and he's always set up to counter. Joshua cannot learn that now. You know, old dog, new tricks and all that. It's almost impossible. And it's not just Joshua, other people. You can't learn that. That's something you just learn intuitively, how to manage that space, you know, where to put your feet, where to put your shoulder. And Fury's got that. And if Fury decided to walk Joshua down and then start ripping to the body like he did Otto Wallen, I don't think the fight goes six rounds. So that's one of the things the Fury camp can take from that. They can also take that and go, we could challenge Wilder like this, although I wouldn't recommend it. It's possible. And Fury showed he can nurse a cut. Like There were very interesting moments in that fight where you saw Tyson Fury had a dilemma. And it was, right, I've got a cut over my right eye. In fact, I've got two cuts over my right eye. If I put my head on Violin's right shoulder, he can't hit me with the left hand. But it means my cut's in contact with his hair. So I'm getting the irritation, I'm getting the the kind of saltiness of the sweat in the cut. So I'm getting pain that way. If I put my head on his left side of his shoulder, on his left shoulder, sorry, I now run the risk of being hit there and having the cut opened up by his glove. So Fury had that, and he was managing it really well. So when he wanted to have a rest, and he saw that Violin was tired, he'd put his head on Violin's left shoulder, give the cut a chance to breathe and to calm down. When he was looking to attack and looking to bully him about, he'd put his head in harm's way on the right shoulder, and almost take that pain just to keep being able to maneuver him with the head and the neck as well. So it was interesting seeing Tyson use some of the tricks and the tools that he's probably accumulated over the years. So those sort of small things, you know, will serve him well in the big pressure fights because he won't even have to have a corner make a decision for him. He can make decisions in flight. But here's what I wanted to touch on about this fight. Are we seeing the end of the big man in the heavyweight division? I've been suspecting this for probably about a year and a half, two years. When we look at... The best heavyweights at the moment, and people, you know, we can debate this, but it's Joshua six foot six, Wilder six foot seven, Fury six foot nine. You can whack Dillian in there, six foot four. You can put Ortiz at about six three. But essentially, the the three main guys: six 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 seven six nine. Joshua, freak athlete, freakish setup, once in a lifetime opportunity. When he's gone, there won't be another Joshua. Wilder, freakish power, gets him out of jail so many times. Without that power, he doesn't have a belt, doesn't get close to a belt. Fury, unreal skill set, unreal toughness. These are all one-offs, and I know I just said there are three one-offs, but they've all come from three different hemispheres, or even hemispheres, trispheres, whatever you want to call them. They come from three different dimensions, three different planets. And when they go back to those planets, we don't have replacements. I know people say Jokun, Hergovich. They're not at that level. So now we're looking at guys like Andy Ruiz coming up. I'm going to say Parker, just, just, just for, for filler at the moment. Then guys like Michael Hunter, who I think is into really good form, but he hasn't been tested. So I'd like to see Parker against a Michael Hunter. And then let's see. But these smaller guys with the more rounded skill set, the ability to slip, dip, roll, Punching combinations, double up on the same hand to look good. You know, that give you that cruiserweight dynamic with the heavyweight build. They might be the future when when the three war horses at the top decide to, to give it up. I think six foot four might become the upper limit for a heavyweight. You'll still get the odd freak, but the idea of just finding a giant and turning him into a big muscle head in the hope that he becomes heavyweight champion, I think will die. Because it will be a skill based sport in the heavyweight division going forward. That's just my hypothesis at the moment. It will all depend on what Ruiz does in the rematch, where Hunter goes, what someone like a Chisora can still do, and then some of these young, smaller heavyweights who are coming up. You know, it would have been good to see Rivas get a chance at something like that. But it's worth keeping an eye on and start to look at the smaller heavyweights coming through and see if they can start to do damage. Smaller, more athletic. You know, I talk about John Palata a lot. He's, a, he's one of those ilk, but he's probably at the upper end of that. But definitely in that group in terms of athleticism and skill set. But I think just to summarise, I thought the Fury fight was just a standard defence. It didn't need to be on pay-per-view. And had it not been on pay-per-view, in light of the card they gave us, which is stronger than anything that Matchman have ever given British fans. You, know, you had depth all the way down that card. and it. If, if you don't believe that, then you don't understand who was fighting on that card. That's fine. That's okay. But just know that that was a deep card. It wasn't a pay-per-view card. It was a deep card that had they just put it on standard ESPN? You'd have said, thank you, Bob Arum. That's a hell of an event. But look, onwards and upwards for Fury. Get the, get the cut stitched up. And then I imagine you're looking at an April-May fight for Wilder now at the earliest. So... There's no pressure to make the Ortiz fight anymore. You can make the Ortiz fight now in December. Or late November. Maybe November 30th. Make the fight the week before the Joshua fight. Knock Ortiz out in a round. Put that psychological pressure back on Joshua. We know he struggles with it now. But look, guys, as always, thanks for tuning in. Please, you know obviously on the iTunes, reviews, likes, and then social media, the sharing, sharing's caring after all, and then obviously get in touch. I tend to respond to most things, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, yeah, at Highfield Boxing, all of it's at Highfield Boxing. You know, I really appreciate the effort that goes into listening, because what people don't realize about doing a podcast is this, Your own friends won't listen. And then they'll phone you expecting to talk about boxing. But then you say to them, look, I do a bloody podcast about boxing. How about you listen to that? Then let's have a conversation based on what you think of that. So your own friends won't support a movement. But people you haven't met in the flesh, but you know through various channels, will support the movement because they believe in it. And then you ask yourself, so who... who, who really are my people. And that's why I appreciate the the love and the attention and the engagement I get, because you guys are engaging with someone in some cases you've probably never met. But you respect the content. And I really appreciate that. That's why when I meet people in the flesh, I try and make time. You know, if I'm not distracted on a phone call to my mum or something, I always try and make time because it's important to show appreciation for the sacrifices you guys put into it. So it's always thank you. I love it and I appreciate it and I respect it. You know, have a fantastic week. You know, let's all go and do something special in our work lives, in our personal lives, in our social lives, in our sporting lives. Let's just go out there and go make something special happen. Cheers, guys. J'en s'avérer faux. 4 en contact sur la toile. Mais je compte sur une main mes alter egos. Pas d'imposteur dans mon roster. Un peu comme Doc Rivers Tous les jours avec des bosseurs et des toasters. C'est chacun sa mission.